Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Start off thanking you all for your prayers, for your love. Uh, Lisa is at home this morning. She uh, was even strong enough to order me around this morning. And... uh, I had to get her tea just right, had to get her little milkshake just right, all of that kind of stuff. I was actually almost late to the 8.30 service, which has never happened before. I'm so happy to see her like this, though. It's, it's, it is her, you know, beginning to, to get her focus, her strength back. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, you know, she, those of you who don't know, I've tried to, you know, keep you up to date with things on Facebook. It was the easiest way to put out, like, uh, updates, but she was she was carrying around a really really large tumor. It was hiding behind her stomach. Uh, it was it was the size of a baby. I mean, it was uh, she was carrying a, you know at one dimension it was two feet long, and uh, so the the surgery was really intense and a lot of loss of blood. And God has just superintended her care and her healing and wonderful things have happened and the pathology that has come back has come back really uh, with good news Uh, she will be taking a drug I mean there's a pill she has to take because they don't want this thing to come back but uh, she doesn't have to do normal kind of chemo with IV and stuff like that so I mean every step of the way has been miraculous it's uh the, we had a surgeon before we had a bed in the hospital. The surgeon was an uh, expert on stomach cancer, but we needed also an expert on the pancreas because part of her pancreas was taken. And the surgeon who was ta- doing the surgery was an expert on the pancreas. I mean, just the way that the Lord superintended every step and the treatment, the follow-up treatment is being done by the leading expert in the whole world on that treatment. And, uh, I mean, just, just so many, you know, things that could not have been arranged except for the, the love of our, of our God today. Just singing that song, God is so good, just breaks me up in ways like never before. So she knows and feels how much love you have sent her way, how many, many prayers, and she feels really, really uh, carried along by those prayers. So thank, thank you very much for that. Today... Um, you know, we're looking at this series on Abide, and, and I can't help but just say to you, Lisa spent about six months working on this. And she told me the other day as, you know, she was going through this struggle, and uh, we were in the hospital together, and she said, I really believe the Lord planned this, not just for our church, but she said, He planned it for me that as I went through this pruning, as I went through this, this trial, that I would be able to abide in him the whole way. And so I have watched as she has not been able to do her usual intercession for each of you like she does. And she's not had strength or any of those things, but she has stayed in a place of abiding. And so as I share this teaching with you today, it's really A lot of it's because I've been walking through this with my wife, who walked through this for each of you. And so as we read this scripture together, it's incredibly personal. And and what we're going to share together, I believe, is the essence of Christianity. So I'd like um, you to read with me these verses, and then I'd like for us to really go deep into the heart of Jesus together. Will you do that with me? As the Father has loved me... So have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Mm. So, in the, in the way that the Apostle John unveils or reveals the very life of Christ, he, he loves to, to record for us these simple statements of Jesus. They are called I am statements. They are There are statements where Jesus reveals who he is. It is his self-revelation. This is who I am, he says. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, you you have to go after these statements, these simple statements. And here he says one of the most essential statements of who he is. He says, I am the vine. Now it's interesting, in the old days when I started preparing for ministry, before I could be ordained as a minister, I had to read the, be able to read the Bible in its original language. And so I spent about eight years studying Greek, about three years studying Hebrew. But when you start studying Greek, one of the things that's so interesting is you don't start with the most complex Greek, you start with the simplest. And the simplest Greek in all the New Testament is written by the Apostle John. And so when I, when I was learning how to read the original language. One day I was reading the Gospel of John and I could read it by sight and I was so excited. excited. I thought, all right, I've arrived now. You know, I can read this in the original language. But the, the fact that the language is simple only in some ways just belies the fact that it is the most profound statements that you can ever have in your life, that sometimes the simplest things are the most profound things. Here is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the vine. He's not saying, I hope I'm the vine. He doesn't say, I am a vine. He's saying that if there is any relationship that you are ever going to have with God, if there is any connection that you are going to have with the spiritual realm that is called heaven, if there's ever going to be any connection to you or to your life, it has to be that you're connected to the vine. That Jesus alone is the only person who can give you the resources, the strength, the power, the love, the joy. Only He can supply what you need to become the person you always wanted to become. By saying He's the vine, He's saying that you can experience radical transformation. You can be changed in your character. That He will produce fruit in your life that will be satisfying and fulfilling, but it only comes if you're connected to the vine. And in some ways, you see, a lot of people ask the question of me. They say, well, what, what good is it for me to become a Christian? And in some ways, the question could be this as well. You know, how does a selfish person become less selfish? How does a passive person become more active? How does a coward become a courageous person? How does a narcissist cease in their narcissism and not make everything about themselves, but begin to be able to make their lives about something other than self? Well, the only way, Jesus says, is when He's the key. When He is the key person in your life. When He is the key source. When He becomes your vine. Not just the vine, but your vine. And what what I want you to see is in the same way that He has these I am statements. You have I am statements. And you can tell a lot about a person by their I am statements. I hear this all the time. People say to me, I'm not patient. They'll say, I'm not strong. I've heard people say, I'm lazy. Those are all I am statements. Do you know what those I am statements are? They're all curses. I'm not disciplined. I'm not blessed. Nothing good ever happens to me. 
You understand, you're calling down more and more negative, more and more cursing on your life by your I am statements. What you're saying by that is you're the vine. Because if you're not patient, you're not connected to the vine. If you're not strong, then you're not connected to the vine. If you're sexually immoral and you say, that's just, I'm just a hound dog, I can't help it. Then you're not connected to the vine. You're saying, this is all that I am. Do you know, some even religious people trying to be modest will say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, if you go around saying you're just a sinner, you're just going to sin. Because you made an I am statement. This is who I am. I'm just a sinner. That's all I am. You know something? If you're in the vine, you're not just a sinner. If you're in the vine, the very life of Christ is pulsating in your life. All of His DNA has interpenetrated your DNA. Instead of saying, I'm not patient, you begin to say, but I'm connected to the patience of Christ Himself. If you don't know He's patient, you must stop and think for a minute. If He wasn't patient, you would have been zapped long ago. Lightning would have hit you. I mean, come on. There are lots of us. If we were God and we could have that power to zap people, palisades would be wide open. We wouldn't care if they went to heaven or hell as long as they got out of our way. You understand? He's been patient with you. He has... He has the patience to give you. He has all the strength. He is all powerful. And instead of you saying, well, I'm just a lustful person. I'm just a worried person. I'm just a depressed person. Suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I'm connected to the vine. And the vine is holy. The vine is pure. I may have struggled with lust. I may have struggled with worry. I may have struggled with those things. But because I'm connected to the vine, I am developing holiness. I am developing purity. I have an inner source of growth. I have an inner source of fruit. From the inside out, I am changing. And when you begin to say those things about yourself, guess what happens? They become true. They become manifest inexplicably sometimes. You begin to realize, I am changing. I'm not changing because of willpower. I'm not changing because I'm afraid. I'm not changing because of pride. I'm changing because something has changed on the inside. And I'm beginning to speak it out. See, Jesus is saying, I'm the key. How does an addict stop being an addict? When the addiction stops being the vine. It's the only way. Because as long as the addiction is the vine, I'm going to keep going back to the vine. It's only when Jesus, who is the vine, becomes my vine. Only when He is the key. And so he He wants you to know three things from this passage, okay? We could go into a lot more, but we'll do three today. The first is this. He is utterly committed to your growth. As a matter of fact, by saying He's the vine and you're the branches, He's saying there's a fact, there's a certainty that you are going to grow if it kills you. Why do I say that? Well, what did He say to His disciples? He's saying it to you this morning. Do you know what? You may think you chose to be here this morning. But He chose for you to choose to be here this morning. He looked at His disciples who all thought, well, Jesus, you're really blessed that we're following you. You know, we're here. You know, we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to be rulers with you. And guess what was going on? Jesus was sharing this teaching with them because their whole world was about to be turned upside down. Everything they expected was not going to happen, and everything they didn't expect was about to happen. Ten of them abandoned him. One denied him publicly, and the other betrayed him. And yet he's looking at them, and he says, you 
didn't choose me. I chose you. Do you understand that your insecurities, your lack of confidence, all of the things that keep you fearful and focused on yourself and self-conscious, all of those things are going on because you think it's up to you. You believe somehow that if you just can perform well enough, if you can look good enough, if you can have enough money to have security and be safe and all of these things, if you can just do, you'll be okay. But Jesus says, no, it never works that way. What takes away your insecurity is when the only one in the universe that matters says, I know who you are. I know every closet in your life. I know all the basement. I know the attic. I know what you got buried out back. And I chose you. I chose you. You didn't choose me. It doesn't depend on you. It is dependent on me choosing you. And from that minute on, you do not have to live in fear. Not even once. You don't have to have a lack of confidence. You don't need to be pessimistic about your future. He knew what he was getting into when he chose you. He knows you to the bottom, but he loves you all the way to the top. See, everything that he has done, he left heaven. He left the safety and security of the throne. He came to earth and there was no place for him. And throughout his life, he said the foxes you know, have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, he did that. He did that. He became your righteousness. He became the one who could fulfill the law for you that you can't fulfill. He became your sin on the cross. He became everything that is deficit in you, everything that is unjust in you, everything that is sinful in you. He became all of that on your behalf. And he went into death and blew a door out the backside of death and he ascended into heaven. And what it says here in John 15 is he did it all so that there would be fruit that makes sense in your life. Purpose, fulfillment, satisfaction. And if you're not experiencing that, it's because you're not connected. You're still trying to be a branch that has its own root source. You're trying to be a branch that has its own power source. And as long as that is true, you will not see the explosive transformation that He has for you. He's committed to you being great. I I know for some of you, maybe you're hearing me, but you're not hearing me. You're committed often to settling. You're committed to just surviving. You're committed to just avoiding pain as much as you can. Or committed to pleasing people and delighting people. You're committed to binging on Netflix. You're committed to this is us. I've lived a long time. All those shows end. And they leave a big hole. You understand what I'm saying? You and I, we are committed to things that are not committed to our greatness. Many of the things we're committed to are committed to our numbness. To numbing our pain. To distracting ourselves. I'm not saying those things aren't good. They're just not vines. Are you hearing me? He has one single goal for your life. And you're here today because He chose for you to hear this. He is invested in your greatness. Every single thing He's ever done has been to make you great. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. He is is doing more for you than you realize. See, every single one of us has capabilities. All of us have unique capabilities, a mix of talents and intellect, of creativity, of willpower, all kinds of differences. There will never be anybody like you. You're uniquely come together in your life with capabilities, but God is not so concerned about capabilities. He can make the rocks do what you do. 
What he is concerned about is your capacity. How much love can you contain? How much of his power can you receive? How much of his joy can you live in? He's interested in taking away your limitations. He's interested in developing a fruit that comes from the inside out and manifests in a character. He's more concerned with who you are becoming than what you can do. And that only happens by connection. You can do without connection. But you can't be without connection. Are you hearing me? And so every single flaw he's redeeming. Every deficit he's transforming. But he's doing so in such a way that it cannot be mechanical. It has to be organic. It's his life pulsating in your life. It's his supernatural DNA interpenetrating your DNA. You have become, if you're a Christian, you've become a partaker of the divine nature. You cannot settle for anything less than greatness. Listen what, what John says. He says, that which is born of God must overcome the world. And you can't overcome unless there's something to overcome. So the organic nature of this growth cannot be minimized. I think Tim Keller made this statement. It's kind of a complex statement. Stay with me. Organic change only comes through a new inner dynamic. Not mechanical behavioral change through an external force. See, what a lot of people will do is they'll know they have to change. They know that either they're failing in their job or they're failing in their marriage or they're failing as parents or failing in some way or they have this sense that they're losing and they want more. And so they will begin to muster up all kind of forces to change. Probably the best-selling books of our day are all about how do you change? How do you make yourself a better you? All of this kind of stuff. But the issue mostly is that apart from the vine, you'll always have an external force that's, that's compelling you, that's making you change in order to please somebody else. And usually that force is based on fear and pride. Fear that somehow I'm a fraud. Fear that I'm not going to achieve. Fear I'm going to fail. Fear of uncertainty. All of these things. But also the pride that says, but I want people to think I'm somebody. I mean, have you ever heard people say, I'm nobody, I'm nothing? You see, if you were really nobody and nothing, you'd never say that. By saying I'm nobody, you're saying, you're asking people, say, oh yes, you're somebody. Of course you are. It's a game that we play. It's the game that many of us play like this. We say, oh, I'm so ugly. So your friends will say, no, you're very attractive. (laughs) Wife says, oh, this looks horrible on me. Husband says, oh, it's beautiful. It's glorious. You look wonderful. It's a game we play because it comes out of fear and pride. Here's the problem, friends. If you are motivated to change By fear and pride, you're motivated by the very thing that separates you from God. You can't change with something that is already destroying you. Fear has never been your friend. And pride only exists because you do not believe anybody else will take care of you but you. Let me give you a practical example of this. This happens to all pastors, but it's happened a lot over my 35 years, that somebody in the marriage will call me and say, Pastor, you got to meet with us. And oftentimes, the one who has really blown it is the husband. Okay, I have to say that that's the majority of the cases. I have seen some really bad wives, but I've seen far more bad husbands. All right, I'll just say this anecdotal, it's not statistics, but man... Some of the stupid things that men do. <clears throat> so I get a call and the guy says, Pastor, you got to meet with me now. you got to meet with us now. She's leaving me. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be good. you know." So I meet with him and I say, okay, what's going on? And the wife has a list. I mean, it's, wow. She has citations, research. 
It's a thesis paper, I'm telling you. All the things he's done. And here's, I actually heard a guy say this before. He goes, she's been telling me those things for years. I just didn't think she was serious. Somebody last night said I was insensitive for calling that husband stupid, but hey, if this shoe fits, right? Gosh. See, if somebody says something to you, it always means something. And it always reflects a need. They may not say it well, but it always reflects a need. But what will happen is this, and this has happened numerous times. He'll say to her, I will change if you'll just stay. If you'll just stay, I will change. You understand? What's motivating him right now is not love. It's fear. You've threatened to go, so I'm going to change. I know how serious you are. But it's also pride, because what's going to happen, particularly if this person is a Christian or a church person, people are going to know I'm a bad husband. They're going to think I'm a bad man. I have a failed marriage. You understand? It's not about her. It's about me. Because fear and pride is always about me, not about anybody else. When you, when you change off an external force, you're not really changed. So what happens? Well, you know, within about six weeks or so, he might go right back to what he always did because once the threat is over, then the fear is gone. So then the change is gone. Or what happens a lot of times is he continues to do what he promised to do, but now he's getting more and more bitter. And so every time he does it, he kind of gripes and he grouses and he kind of complains. I cannot believe over the years the things that people who said they were in love have said to each other. People who had commitments to love one another, even as they love their own bodies, who have said such horrible, awful things to each other just because they had fear, they had pride, but they did not have love. You understand what Jesus is saying here, if it is not an organic change from an inner new dynamic, then it is not changing at all. It's fear and it's pride and it's only a temporary fix. Listen, it's like, use another illustration here. When you want to change metal, you got to put the metal in the heat. You have to make it pliable. You have to make it transformable. And when you do put it in the heat, then that thing can be changed forever. But if you take cold metal, you can change it. You can bend it. You can reshape it. But, but usually what will happen with the cold metal is it will bounce back to its original shape or eventually you bend it enough and it will break. That's the way humans are, friends. That's the way our hearts are. If there isn't fire that has changed the inner dynamic, then all we're doing is being bent till we break. That's not life. It's not love. Give you one more illustration that I heard. I hate Christmas trees. I'll just say that to you. I've never picked out the right Christmas tree ever. It's always misshapen, it's always leaning. I have had Christmas trees fall down with full ornaments <laughs> in the middle of the night. So I, I like artificial trees, I'll just tell you. But, but when you get a Christmas tree and you take it home, you take that Christmas tree, you decorate it, you know, you put all the sentimentality of your family on the tree, you have ornaments there none of the rest of us would care about that your kids made in first grade or whatever it was or all kinds of stuff on that tree, decorated, lights on the tree. It's a beautiful decorated tree, but in six weeks or so, the needles are going to dry out and fall off. The branches are already dying. Why? Because it's beautifully decorated. You think, oh, it's alive. No, it's not. It's dead. It's been dead since it got cut off from the stem. You, apart from Christ, are nothing more than a dead Christmas tree. Religion is the decoration. 
where we make it look better with the lights and the candles and the incense and the rituals and even the prayers and all the sentimental nonsense and sacred cows that we have uh, we have gotten over the years, but it's a dead tree and the needles are dead and the branches are dead because it's no longer connected to the stem. It is useless to be religious, friends. Well, <laughs> you're like, why'd I come this morning? <laughs> Let me just say it this way before I hit this point. I'm glad that you're here. God chose you to be here this morning. You're here by divine invitation. We want you to be a part of Risen King. I love it that people join our church. I'm excited that people become members. I want this to be your church home. But I can tell you this. Connecting to Risen King will not connect you to heaven. Connecting the risen king will not give you a right relationship with God. The only one who can connect you to God and to heaven and to all that you are meant to be and the destiny that God has for you is the risen king himself. See, your connection has to be personal and it has to be vital and it has to be organic. Many people come to church thinking it will make them something. I know you don't go to the airport and think it's going to make you an airplane. (laughs) Coming to church could make you nothing more than a decorated Christmas tree. It'll look good, but it's dead. Because if it's fear and pride that's motivating you, it's fear and pride that's keeping you from Christ. So what happens when people finally, they start moving into faith, they move into Christianity? There's usually a mistake that's made from the get-go. A mistake that Jesus himself is trying to contravene here. He's trying to stop it. See, a lot of times what happens is we begin right off in a relationship with God as servants. We want to serve. We want to do. We want to work. We don't realize that what Jesus wants from you first and foremost and as foundational everything is he wants you to know he's your friend. And he wants you to begin to relate to him as his friend. You see, friendship, he says, is everything. He looks at him and says, I do not call you servants, but friends. See, if servanthood was the most important, he would have said, I don't call you friends, I call you servants. But have you ever thought about this? Servants usually are not that happy with their masters. What? You want me to do what? Don't I have rights? You know, don't... don't, You would never ask that of me. But a friend is more a friend in times of trouble. A friend will move heaven and earth to help a friend. How many of you made that trip to JFK at 5, 6 a.m. in the morning? I, I only do it for friends. And I'm not sure they're my friends if they ask me to do it. How many of you moved people for nothing more than pizza and beer? You understand, you'd only do that for a friend, and then you're not sure they're your friend. (laughs) But what does Jesus say here? He says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. You see, until you get that, then you're just serving it's a business relationship. It's a busyness a relationship. It's not intimacy. There are people, they start off their Christian life, they say, okay, I need to help people. I need to serve people, so I'm going to help people. But they never become friends with Jesus. They, they learn doctrine. They learn theology. They even become read-the-Bible-in-a-year person. And yet they never become friends with Jesus. They even, at many times, they, you know, they, they can get themselves into a place where they go, man, I got some juicy sins in my life. I better get these out. I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. And see, then when life doesn't go the way you want it to go, you go, God, I thought we had a deal. I got rid of the juicy sins. I helped people. You can't let me have cancer. God, you can't let me have financial need. God, we had a deal. I prayed at five in the morning. 
I fasted. I made other people do the same thing just to be miserable with me. You see, what most people have done mistakenly in their Christian foundations in the beginning of their life, they haven't developed their friendship. They develop being servants who think they have a bargain. They have a deal. God, look at all that I've done for you. I read the Bible. I pray on my commute. Sometimes I do curse on my commute, but I do pray on my commute as well, oh God. And you think, I'm so much better than all these other heathens around me. How can you treat me like this? The reason that that kind of thought comes to you is because you have intellectually assented to His love. You have inferred that He loves you, but you've never encountered His love. See, when you encounter His love, you don't infer it. You don't assent to it. It isn't just an intellectual concept. His love crushes you. His love destroys you. It destroys anything else for you but Him. And you begin to realize that His friendship is where you draw on His love. You don't sit there questioning, do you love me? God, if I, if I get this trouble in my life, how can this be? You, you must not love me. You see, when you have encountered His love, you don't keep questioning His love. When you learn to draw on His love, you don't keep questioning His love. You draw closer to Him even in the trials. Because the branch begins to draw on the vine. Listen, so many people I meet only infer His love, have not encountered His love, and do not know how to draw on His love. I have this happen almost every week. Someone comes and they have a tragic story. And I love to hear people's tragic stories. I do. And I want to pray with them. But almost always when they tell their story, I can tell they've never encountered Jesus' love. I can tell they're not friends of God. They're not friends with Jesus because they're telling their story like they're the only vine in the story. And so I say to them, do you know that God loves you? And they're, they're, they're offended by me. How can you say that? Of course I know that He loves me. I've said, but nothing in your story tells me that you've actually encountered and know how to draw on His love. What you're doing is you're saying, because I am the pastor and I have this kind of spiritual authority or position, I should be able to pray the trouble out of your life. Instead of the realization that he brought the trouble because he's your friend. He brought the trouble because he's committed to your greatness. He's brought the trouble because you think you have a deal and you think you've been paying the rent. And he's saying, we don't have a deal. Busyness will never trump intimacy. See, part of the problem is we make... Christianity too hard and we make it too easy. We make it too hard in this regard. You understand? A branch never brings fruit to the vine. The branch brings nothing to the vine. The vine provides everything for the branch. We are broken, worthless, useless branches. It's the only ones Jesus is interested in. The more broken you are, the more valuable you are to Him. Even a bruised reed, the Scripture says, he will not break. I say this to you because I I heard a famous preacher this week and he looked out at his people and I know his, his intent was good. He wanted to encourage his people, but he said this to them and it was such a falsehood. He said, God chose you because you're talented. God chose you because... You're, you're that kind of people that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You're that kind of people. God chose you because you're not mediocre. God chose you because you're beautiful, because you're gifted, because of all this stuff. And I said, whoa, I wanted to scream at the radio. That is not what the scripture says. He chose you because you're broken. He chose you because you're foolish. He chose you because you're worthless. He chose you because you're useless because when you are grafted into the vine, you become everything you always wanted to become but never could become apart from Him. People get mad at me, but I I say God chooses idiots. Why do I say that? Because, Because Paul said it. I told you I did eight years of Greek. It's right there. 
It says he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. So if you've come to realize what a fool and an idiot you are, you qualify. See that we make it too hard. We 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 make it like I got to clean up my life. I got to get some fruit in my life. I got to no friends, but yet we make it too easy at the same time. Do you know people come up to me all the time and say, "Okay, what's the minimum requirement? How do I get in heaven, but not have to lose a whole lot of stuff?" You know, and and youth are funny. When I was a youth pastor, they come up and say, "Okay, how much sexual stuff can we do without getting zapped?" See, here's the, here's the problem with that. It really is making Christianity too easy. You know what? I can't say what the requirements are. I can't say what your friend is going to ask of you because what he asked of himself for you was he laid down his life for you. What he asked of himself was he became cancer. What he asked of himself is he became your anger, your depression. He became your addictions. He became your alcoholism, your workaholism, your worry, your care. He became all of those things so you didn't have to carry those things anymore. And if he did that for you, guess what? He's not here to rehabilitate you. He's here to kill you. Paul got it. I mean, it takes a while. You come to Christ, usually you say, okay, I want some help, I want some strength, and he just kills you. And you go, whoa, what was that? Paul Paul said it this way. I am crucified with Christ. You understand? That's not a concept. He's saying, I have experienced being crucified on my inside. And nevertheless, I live. And he's saying it was worth it. It was worth it to die. You know, a whole lot more will be asked of you than I could ever tell you what he's going to ask of you. So how do we get vitally connected? Well, there's, there's four things I wanted you to take with you today. They're all in this passage that we read. The first is this. You will only, you will only grow if you embrace the knife of the Lord. If you keep resisting the knife, you will not grow. If you keep saying, how can this happen to me? Why does this always happen to me? I take two steps forward. I get knocked three steps back. Stop it. It's the knife of the Lord. It may be unfair in terms of the world. It might be unfair in terms of your friends or your work or whatever it is. But embrace the knife of the Lord. And in order to do that, you've got to receive what Jesus says here is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength, not because your circumstances go the way you want to, but because you have a source of joy that comes from the vine. And then this embracing and developing this friendship with the Lord. Don't don't read another passage of Scripture without realizing it's a letter from your friend. And then he says, you've got to remain or abide in the Lord. Now I'm going to weave these four together real quickly. The Bible says this, you will never change without pruning. Anything that he's taking away from you is a gain to lose. And anything that you, you know, if you had tried to keep it, it would have been a loss. He will never take away what is a gain. He will never let you keep what's going to be a loss. Everything has to be taken off that is not leading to your greatness. That's not leading to you becoming the fruitful person that you have even an inkling of. Now, he's committed to you achieving greatness. People say to me sometimes, well, what, why is it that some people, their life is short? Why is it that some people's lives get over quickly? Let me, let me just give you an example from the scriptures real quick. The life of Stephen is a perfect example. Stephen was a great preacher, an anointed preacher. I mean, he's in the book of Acts. One of his sermons is so awesome, and it's just an amazing thing. And as soon as he finished the sermon, he was, he was killed. He was, they took stones, and they killed him. And I'm leaving quickly after the service. But you know who was in the crowd? who couldn't get away from that sermon, his name was Saul. He was of Tarsus. And you see, when Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus, 
Saul's heart had already been transformed. It had already been changing because he had heard the appeal of Jesus through the words of Stephen. He could not escape. Stephen had what he had worked for. Stephen lacked what he could not get rid of. And so when he met Jesus, he gave his life fully to Jesus. And you are here today because Paul, Saul of Tarsus, became the Apostle Paul. And the word of God went forth like never before. You do not know how a short life or a long life can yield incredible changes and greatness in the world if you are only yielded to the vine. You have to embrace the knife. Everybody gets the knife. But for some people, what the knife reveals is they're not connected at all. With other people, what it reveals is how deeply connected and how they know how to draw their strength and their love. You see, a Christian, a real Christian, never looks like a Christmas tree. Sometimes they look like a a naked branch. Everything cut away. Even the stuff they thought was good, he cuts away because he wants what's great. But when you're connected to the vine and you're really connected in that vital connection and you're abiding in His love and you're saying, my friend is doing this and He laid down His life for me so I can lay down my life for Him. And a joy comes over you that's inner joy that's not your joy, but it's His joy. Then what happens is even the cutting makes you tender. It softens you. And I cannot think about this without seeing my wife. I mean, when we heard it was cancer, it was a shock, like no shock I've ever experienced in my life. For a little while, I didn't know, would her life be over? Or was God going to do a miracle and heal her? I did not know. But I knew the vine. And she told me, she said, everything I've been studying has led me to this moment. It has led me to trust the knife. It has led me to trust in his joy. It has led me to know he's my friend. And it's led me to know how much he loves me. And she lost all her strength, friends. She couldn't speak for a while. She couldn't move. She, she, all her strength was gone. All her physical strength was completely gone. But because she was so connected to the vine, the sweetness and her gentleness and her tenderness just came out. Every nurse wanted to be in her room. They told us their whole life stories. My poor wife's in there going, oh, that's so inspiring and it's so good. I'm sitting there going, get out of here. The cleaning lady came in and said, oh, miss, are you leaving for your surgery? I'm going to clean this room. And when you come back, it's going to be so clean for you. And it was all because in the cutting, you just saw the gentleness, you saw the tenderness. She had no personal strength, and yet she was abiding in Christ. Can you hear me? See, though the knife of the Lord, or through the knife of the Lord, you start to learn how to draw on His love. You start to draw on His strength. And what what you begin to understand, and what I understand about this passage, is Jesus endured the same knife. But he was cut off. When he became your sin, he was cut off from the land of the living. He was cut off from the Father. But he was cut off so that you will only ever be cut back. Come on, that's beautiful. He was cut off so that you as his follower, as the branch, will only ever be cut back. Let me close with C.S. Lewis. Lewis used the metaphor of a house. He says this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew these jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being built 
being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. See, he is not committed to you surviving. He is committed to you thriving. And he is the king, and where he lives is a palace. I don't know about you, but I grew up singing a song as a kid. I've got a mansion. I don't just have a room in heaven. I grew up singing, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where you never grow old. I'm not satisfied because he's not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with you settling for a cottage when he wants to make you a palace. Stand with me. Can you hear me today? Are you tracking with me? Don't make me come out there. Is it emotional? It's supposed to be. Because because the love that chose you is emotional. It's personal. It's not religious. It's not iffy. Like sometimes when I say to people, do you know that God loves you? And they infer his love. Basically what they're saying, well, he's God. Of course he loves me. But see, that does nothing when the knife comes. When the knife comes, then you have to go, you're my friend. You're the one who loves me. And even though it slay me, still I will hope in you. Would you mind making a declaration to the, to the vine today? Would you do that with me? Can we say it together? Lord Jesus, you are the vine. You are my vine. No other source, no other life, no other love can be to me what you are to me. I am the branch. Your branch. Connected to you. For my life, for love, for strength. See, once you start saying those things, you realize they're true. And as you leave today, I, I'm not going to say it for you. I'm going to ask you before tonight is over, would you embrace those four things? You know where the knife is right now. It might be a relationship, could be your job, could be your health, it could be anything. I'm asking, embrace the knife. You don't want to be a Christmas tree, friends. Pretty but dead. You want to be a living branch. You may feel naked, bleeding, broken, cut up, but He's only doing it to make you great. And He's your friend. Abide in His love. Find that He has joy that you know not of yet. Lord, we seal what You're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.